Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snacket Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to frito to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at frito Welcome to the Canon Cast, a weekly podcast from the Canon, SB Nation's blog about the Columbus Blue Jackets. Our plucky favorite team has hit a slump, losing five straight heading into the final week before the NHL trade deadline. We'll talk about the state of the CBJ, the upcoming deadline, and check in on the Cleveland Monsters and some AHL happenings. I am Ryan Real. Joining us for this week, we've got William Chase. Hey, Will. Hey, what's up? And we've got Elaine Shercliffe. Hi, Elaine. Hey, Ryan. So as we record this episode, the Blue Jackets have lost five straight, tied for their longest skid of the season. They did pick up three loser points last week, but a couple of those losses included Buffalo and a New Jersey team that traded its captain and one of its best players a few hours before puck drop. Obviously, injuries have taken their toll, but what do you make of the CBJ right now? I mean, I'll take loser points because at least you get some points. Yeah. No, yeah. <laughs> I'm just trying to maintain some sort of positive feeling about this. I think it's tough because they did so well without so many pieces, um, normal everyday player pieces, and now they're hitting that struggle that we all knew was going to come. And, you know, we want to say it's against teams like Buffalo and New Jersey, but we're hitting a, a point in the season where everyone wants to prove something. So those lower level teams are going to start coming out swinging against the jackets and it's just how it's going to be. And they have to be able to respond better and play with a little bit more pep in their step. And I didn't uh, watch those games just because the monsters played so much in the past week and a half. But it sounds like uh, just from what I read from a lot of people is like the fundamentals just aren't aren't really there right now. And they need to if that's the case, then they need to get back to basics and start working on their fundies. (sighs) Fundies. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, I will take the loser points because every point is precious. Obviously, at this time of year, um, they're still pretty much. I mean, it feels like they're still within striking distance technically of the Metropolitan because the Capitals have also been kind of struggling. They're right there for second. And they're also, you know, a couple of games from being completely out of the picture, you know, altogether at this point. So, I mean, every point is something. I mean, it's almost a miracle that they've pretty much been getting points almost every game just because, um, 
they can't score. And it just seems like that story has been the case all year, but now it's starting to bite them because the goaltending has literally been doing everything they can. Elvis was literally on his head yesterday in, I want to say <laughs> the shootout, but um, against New yep. Jersey, but he made, I think three or four saves in overtime alone that kept them in it. So the goaltending is doing its part, but what hurts for me is Seth Jones. Um, I, I think almost more so than any other player that you could lose because they've, they've lost her every player they almost could this at this point this season. Seth Jones is such a leader on the ice. He plays, he always leads in, in minutes every night, plays different positions, situation, situationally, and he can't bring the offense. And I mean, we saw him score a goal on a broken ankle, uh, what, about a week ago against Colorado? Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, it's like he almost scores as much on a broken ankle as the Jackets do anyway. So it's just it's just insane. But uh, this was going to happen just because you don't win two or you don't win virtually every game for two months forever. I mean, they were going to lose games at some point. So at least they're getting points, but they better bring it against Philly because that's a huge four point, as they say, four point game. The next two games coming up. Yeah, well, you're right. That Seth Jones injury was was the last. I think he was the clearly one of the few things keeping this team from being on the wrong end of so many tight games. And and that's simplifying it a lot. And obviously hockey is a very luck-based sport, but we've seen it this whole season and we've talked about it, how close the Jackets margin for error is, how, how thin the line is that they ride every night. And it, it, you were right, Will. It's going to catch up with them. It was going to catch up with them. You don't win games forever. The, these injuries have come in a bad time. They have a league-leading 327 man games to injury, which PD pointed out in Cannon Blast is, yeah. is about five full players per game. So they can't win forever. The underlying analytics were never awesome. They weren't blowing out people, and then you lose Seth Jones, who he's an all-star. He's incredible. He's the backbone of this defense. So that's tough, and that's what we're seeing. But you guys are both right. Getting loser points is good. Getting any kind of points you can is good. And it just ha- it, it's unfortunate that all of this is coming down at a really bad time of the season when this team is going to have to piss or get off the pot. Yeah. Or I guess there is a scenario where they just sit on the pot. That doesn't really <laughs> track. <laughs> but you, but you get you get what I'm you get what I'm saying. I mean, this is the the trade deadline is days away, and they're going to have to decide are they a buyer or are they a seller. And we'll, we're going to talk about that in a bit. But I do want to mention because this team has been so starved for scoring help. They called up Liam Foodie last week. We talked about him a lot on this very podcast, and I I'd say he acquitted himself fairly well in games against Tampa Bay and Buffalo. Now back in the OHL. We don't have to talk about how Foodie did. I think most people say, yeah, he was fine for for playing the first two games of his NHL career. But but what do you think about the future of Foodie and, and that kind of player development? I know we touched on it a little bit a little bit last week, but from what you've seen and, and the fact that he may probably will come back to Columbus this season, what how how hyped are you for the future of Foodie? And I guess I guess players kind of like that. Well. I think it's definitely exciting for guys like Foodie. We saw it with Texier last season, and unfortunately, of course, Texier has been out. But I just feel like the organizational talent is definitely showing, or I should say, I guess, I guess you know, Yarmo and the scouts and everybody that's gotten this talent, this collection of talent there, and we've seen it come up, whether from Cleveland or other spots in the organization. It's just awesome to see them being able to come up and do what they've done. Basically, the, going back to the last segment real fast, the Jackets – 
yeah, they won almost every game for two months. You could almost say they pretty much overachieved, though, because going into the season, nobody saw them doing anything anyway, and then all the injuries happened. So you had all these guys come up and actually play well and more than just keep them afloat. They were almost, you know, they were the best team in hockey until Tampa Bay matched them as far as how hot they were. But um, going back to just the like guys like Foodie, it's awesome to see it. You know, he's 20 years old. I don't know if he's going to actually, I mean, I guess whether it's center or wherever they can find him, whatever can work. But it's exciting because, um, you know, two games or so he, you know, held his own. And, yeah, it's only two games. But, hey, you know, maybe he's going to be like another Texier that can come up and um, contribute pretty much right away or, you know, a guy like on the defensive end, Gavrikov. So, I mean, just for me, it's fun to see we have players that can come up and contribute right away and pretty much not just not just keep the team afloat, but actively, I feel like, push the veterans who have been out with injuries or struggling. So it's obviously a nice thing to see. Um, I think that we'll probably see him in Columbus at the end of his season. Mm-hmm. Although I would really like to see how he works with Mike Eaves because Coach Eaves is... I mean, and Mads worked well with him last year, too, but Coach Eves is using the same lingo and everything that they're using up in Columbus. Mm-hmm. So I, I would just kind of like to see how he does with him and then throw him up there. I'm always leery about just throwing young guys straight from, like, the OHL straight up into the NHL just because the game is so different and he's getting different coaching down there. Mm-hmm. So, um, but I think... We'll see him there. And I mean, it's good to see that no matter who they're calling up for the most part is uh, stepping up to the challenge and doing well. Agreed. Yeah, definitely. So I mentioned we are very close to the NHL trade deadline right around the corner. And we had an NHL fan pulse poll on SB Nation. 95% of respondents, 95% of CBJ fans said the Blue Jackets should be sellers now, that poll was taken before the injuries to Seth Jones and Cam Atkinson. So Pale Dragon, in that recap, posted another poll. And 40% said, I voted by and still think so. But 47% said they should stick with the roster they have. So with a few days to go, what do you think the Jackets should do if you were in charge? And then you can guess, because who knows what Yarmo is going to do. But <laughs> what do you think they will do? I think they should be sellers. I know that. There are a lot of guys who are going to be RFAs in UFAs this summer. So if mm-hmm. they don't plan on offering them a contract, get some picks out of them. If mm-hmm. they're done with Sonny Milano, don't wait to, you know, try to flip them after you sign them. Try to get them now. Get some picks for them. You know, same thing with with maybe a Sherwood or um, even some of the veterans like you have, I, I mean, Savard's not up. I don't think for contract status, but there are people who want him who are looking at him. I mean, I personally would not want to lose a Savard, but I don't know. Like I think they need to be sellers who are getting, who are buying draft picks because they also have to be careful with who they're getting at trade deadline this year and who they're signing this year, because at the end of next season, is the expansion draft. So I think a lot of that is going into it. So you keep the same roster now at trade deadline, but then you're going with a whole bunch of new scenarios heading into free agency. So Mm -hmm. I'm sure it's not a fun job 
for any of management right now. <laughs> I so I wrote about my thought of it in my last article last week mm-hmm. and I kind of thought this team would more so stand pat than be buyers, obviously, or sellers. Now, I feel like any deal, I mean, no deal can really be off the table outside of something ludicrous. Like, you're not going to get rid of, you know, name the player. But uh, whether it's like a guy like Milano, um, yeah, I mean, if someone's going to offer you the right package, you got to listen to it, at least check it out. Um, But as far as like buyers, I don't think Columbus would be buyers as far as, you know, Regardless if they still had Seth Jones, regardless if they had won the last five games, I feel like they wouldn't be buying. Obviously, nothing like all in last year. And unless they were getting a guy that was under control beyond this year. And I guess I, I guess I'm still I'm I would lean more towards standing pat versus selling of the right players for the right deal. Again, like like Elaine said, as far as whether it's Milano, whether it's a guy that's going to be an RFA or um, I don't know if a guy like Riley Nash would be traded. I feel like he's a good veteran player that, you know, among the bottom six, that could be maybe an impact for somebody, especially with other guys coming up the Columbus system, maybe kind of nipping nipping at his at his heels. Um, he had a disappointing season last year, and even though he's at the score, maybe that we thought he'd be as far as, you know, 15 a year or something like he did in the past. I feel like he's been better this season just in his overall game or helping kind of stabilize some things. But um, I don't know. I feel like they won't be super active, but I guess I wouldn't be surprised at all to see somebody traded, and whether it's at the lower, le- lower level or... I don't know. Maybe Milano would be traded finally. It seems like we keep talking about him forever, and it does seem like eventually, <laughs> the s- sooner than later, he would be traded. But I know Ryan's talk is tired of Milano, or at least the, the whole you know kind of topic. But put it this way: I don't think if they didn't make a deal, it wouldn't surprise me. But the right player that gets traded out, I could see it happening. Yeah, I mean, like Elaine was talking about the RFAs. You've got Josh Anderson. Pierre-Luc Dubois, Sonny Milano, Kevin Stenland, Jacob Lilia, Cole Sherwood, Gabriel Carlson, and all three goalies. And then, like, everyone in the Monsters. Yes, yes, yes. That's just a yes, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> they love to sign them for one year. Like, we did this last year, right? We're like, hey, do you think they'll sign? You know, and you're like, yes, yes, one year, one year, one year, one year. So... <laughs> <laughs> and as as far as a guy like Anderson, um, I know I've seen people say, oh, we should trade him. Well, I don't think they should necessarily look to trade him just because he's been injured and you're selling low if you do trade him. I feel like he was such – he was maybe their most impactful forward just this time of year, uh, last year, back in March. He was killing it last year. So, I mean, I feel like – I don't think Anderson would necessarily be traded – but I don't know. If you can get the right draft pick or something in return, maybe. I don't know what you're going to really get for him this year. Yeah, I have no idea what's going to happen. I, I think they should stand pat because yeah, the, the expectations were so low coming into the season. They've already overachieved. They've already got a ton of guys' experience. They've played so many rookies. So many young guys have gotten experience this year. Obviously, they've played really well. They have a system that is working very well. Now, they're going to have a big decision as to what to do with these goalies. Uh, they got to pick one. And I don't envy that decision. I don't envy Yarmo. Wait, what? Well, I'm talking about... Do- like, well, I mean, theoretically, you could keep both, but that's a sticky wicket, right? I mean, like, you could. You can. I just don't see how that works in the room, necessarily. Yeah, I mean, it's just... It, I think it would be... 
I, I mean, like, who do you then say, like, sorry, we're not keeping you. No, I know. Because, right, like, it's, they both have stepped up and played phenomenally. One was an all-star, one has, like, all these shutouts and is proving he's finally, like, walking his talk. Yeah. <laughs> and then, you know, Matisse, I mean, he's not really, wasn't really meant he even thought he was going to come up right. to the NHL. And then he comes up and he actually did well for a guy who was just like kind of thrust into it. And then you also have to think too about like, do they, when Tarasov is probably going to come over mm-hmm. next year, right? Mm-hmm. So then you have to think about even down at the Cleveland level, because then you're, do you roll with three goalies down there and then keep Tyson is solely. <laughs> Yeah, I don't. Yeah, exactly. Coach. Like, it's just, it's, I've, we've never been in this place before. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I know. So, and that's why I, I have no idea what's going to happen, but I, I love watching it. I love watching it play out. And we will have our, our trade deadline podcast next week. But I just, I, I think going into buy mode, I don't see a super compelling reason for it this season, but I didn't see one last season and it was awesome. So, <laughs> I don't know who, who's, who's to say. All right, we're going to take a break. When we come back, we've got more Canon Cast in just a second. Today's episode is brought to you by Cars.com. With over 2 million vehicles and 50,000 more added every day, Cars.com will match you with the perfect car for you, your budget, your life, your style. And if you're ready to say goodbye to your current car, Cars.com will get you an instant offer to cash it in. Just start by entering your license plate and get matched with a local dealer who will write you the check. So whether you're looking to buy or sell, just go to Cars.com. It's magical. Hello, I'm Neelai Patel, the editor-in-chief of The Verge and host of Decoder, a business podcast where I interview CEOs about big ideas, the problems that come from those ideas, and how they make decisions. It is also surprisingly about org charts. It comes up a lot. We're launching a new limited series that we're calling the Centennial Series, where I talk to CEOs of companies that are over 100 years old, like Xerox, Barnes & Noble, and more. There's no 100-year-old company that's without its struggles, and it's been fascinating to talk to these CEOs about which parts of these companies' history are important and which parts they can let go. A little spoiler for you, if a company is over 100 years old, there's a lot of drama to talk about. It's been a good time. You can listen to the Centennial series right in the Decoder feed. New episodes of Decoder are out on Tuesday, and the Centennial series is out on Thursdays. Check it out. We think you're really going to like it. You can get it wherever you get your podcasts. We are back on the Cannon Cast. Elaine, the Cleveland Monsters won last Tuesday against Grand Rapids, and then they went on the road, which they will be on the road for a while, dropped the first three games of their road swing to Grand Rapids again, Rockford, and Chicago. What are you seeing from the Monsters? Um, (laughs) 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 You know, honestly, they're trying. Mm -hmm. I'm not even going to sit here and act like this team is not dealing with a lot. When on Friday night, they were in Grand Rapids, Brian Moore got hurt, returned with a cage. Then Saturday morning, I get a press release that they signed a PTO. And that's because Brian Moore was out for the game Mm -hmm. because they had not enough players to field a whole team Mm. for the game against Rockford. So then Sherwood gets called up after Saturday night's game. And they're like on their way to Chicago. And luckily, Moore 
they more they must have felt more was healthy enough to come back or else they probably would have had to play with the short bench. So, you know, there's two PTOs playing right now and um someone who's typically in the ECHL which is Maxime Forche who has just been phenomenal mm-hmm. recently. But it, you know, they're <laughs> they're dealing with so much. They're trying to new guys are trying to learn the systems and you know, these guys that are being sent back down and up and down, they're, they're tired. Mm-hmm. You, no one can tell me that they're not tired. I mean, I feel like when you watch them and you see them, you can tell that they're, they just don't have that same like energy that they used to. But on the flip side, the, the guys who don't typically get the minutes, the guys who are the PTOs and the ECHLers, they are just, they're playing really well. And they're helping take that slack. It's just by the time the end of the game rolls around, it's just it's not the best because then the other team starts matching their energy mm-hmm. and then just takes off. Yeah, when you're playing an afternoon game, you play two games on the road, and then you have Chicago. Yeah, I mean that's that. It looks like that's how that comeback kind of happened. Right. I mean, it it was like there was their. The Chicago game was their third game in three days, mm-hmm. three different cities. For Rockford's game, they got there a few hours before puck drop. <laughs> so <laughs> they didn't have, right, they didn't have a pregame skate. It was clear they were tired. They they battled the best that they could. And, you know, there were there was a few bright spots like Calvin Turkoff and Maxime Forte's goal was just phenomenal. But then the next day, you know, they come out swinging, they come out with all this energy, and then Chicago just was like, no, sorry, you can have all the energy you want, but we're taking it. Mm -hmm. And because they were tired, it just, they couldn't match the next level. And I get a lot of, people get my mentions a lot and talk about how, you know, it's Vavalainen's fault. (laughs) Mm. And it's not. (laughs) Like, he's doing the best he can. He's facing a barrage of shots one right after another and he's stopping them same thing with Tyson. and then it's just you can only stop so many shots in a row before someone finally squeaks one past you you know mm-hmm. so i think the next few days off like they came home and they're gonna have a few like they're gonna practice and then they go to syracuse and somewhere else on saturday so friday saturday hopefully being home for a little bit in their own beds will make it the rest of the road trip easier. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know. They need to start winning though. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. This is the, like, like the big club. This is not the time of the year where they can afford, anybody can afford to drop a bunch of games in a row. So, right. Hmm. Well, speaking of the AHL and the Columbus Blue Jackets organization, <laughs> a familiar face, former CBJ GM Scott Housen will take over as the president and CEO of the AHL in July. That was announced on Friday, so we know that guy. <laughs> I'm excited for him. I know people have a lot of bit of a bad taste in their mouth about Housen, especially with the way things went down with Rick Nash. Mm-hmm. Um, but I feel like I feel like from my own point of view and watching all that, I feel like they both were thrown under the bus and both mm-hmm. had to like were put in a weird, odd position to have to talk about something that they really didn't feel like they. Sh- should have to or need to talk about. And so it just, yeah, it was uncomfortable, I think, for all parties 
involved. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but he, so Scott Housen um, still lived in Columbus. He, you know, was working for the Oilers and he was at so, he was at so many Monsters games over the past um, four, three, like three seasons, I want to say. And he definitely went on the road during playoffs to Syracuse um, last year. He seems to know the game really well and what will work for the youth, like younger guys. And I think him being the main guy in charge, I think we'll see things a little bit different than the way it was when he was kind of in charge, like still having to have a a boss or two or three above him. Yeah. Yeah. And maybe he can get rid of these back to back to back games. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that doesn't make sense to me why they have back-to-back-to-back games in the AHL. I know they play, was it, almost like once a week? Well, I don't mean once a week, but aren't the games like basically on the weekends or do they have a lot during the week? They have. It's a it's a mixed bag. Um, yeah. I, the, the three in a row wasn't so bad. I remember last year and the year before, there was a lot of like two at home and then one away hmm. or two away and it's then weird. one at home. And you were usually playing – the same team twice. So you weren't really doing a lot of traveling. You you know, but this year it's every time it's been a different, every night is a different city and a different team. And then that third game is always an afternoon game. <laughs> Maybe what will happen is Scott House and can kind of um, make the AHL even more like expansive. So we'll have uh, games every single day of the week. So Elaine has to go all over the country every day. <laughs> <laughs> Just to piss off Elaine. I'll I'll just be a troubadour. I don't know. I got to say, I'm a little foggy. I mean, I definitely remember housing in Columbus and some things. I feel like, I don't know, this might just be me. Maybe I have to go back and read up on some things now. I guess I was kind of uh, optimistic in the beginning of his tenure, but I really need to go back and look at some things now that we've had a lot of time to reflect. But uh, yeah, obviously, I remember how things went down and in general, but... I don't know. Back those those were the dark days. I mean, some of the dark days of Columbus, kind of past the first decade, I guess. But um, or yeah, second decade of the team. But yeah, good for Housen in general, I guess. Um, I don't know. It's funny to me. I was kind of reading up on him about how you know he like Elaine mentioned working in Edmonton and coming from Columbus prior to that. So not to say Edmonton has been. I guess booming in general. Not to say that's all on him either, but I don't know. Maybe it'll be good for him to get to take over and be the boss in the AHL, and uh, we'll see how. I guess that league, you know, continues to thrive on with him. Yes, Housen did get them to did get the CBJ to the playoffs once that 2009 yeah. with the hands of Detroit, right? Uh, and then Yarmo has right. four in his seven seasons. Elaine, maybe. Cleveland Monsters will play San Antonio next year, and that means you'll get a trip to Vegas. <laughs> right, except it won't be in San Antonio. <laughs> <laughs> their moving, their plan is to move it to Vegas, mm-hmm. um, which is uh, it's really tough because I feel like from a growing the game standpoint, it's not really growing the game; it's hurting it. And then you have. The Texas Stars all by themselves. Mm-hmm. You have the Charlotte Checkers kind of in their own little island and the Iowa Wild. And so those three teams are to travel for them. It's going to be even more expensive as well. 
but they all have these great fan bases. In the San Antonio Rampage, their their fan base was just starting to flourish and more youth hockey was coming and they were really focusing on growing the game, not just to the typical hockey fans, mm-hmm. but to other cultures, to women. I mean, when you think about growing the game aspect, like they were doing such a great job. And then for the Vegas to announce it the way they did before San Antonio could really have a chance mm-hmm. to tell their fans about it and saying like, oh, we went shopping, we bought an AHL team. And it was like, whoa, right. <laughs> whoa calm down. So <laughs> I don't, I just, I, it really secludes now the East from the West too. Mm-hmm. So we'll see less of each other and every game. I mean, when you play the same team eight times a season, you know, if you have one, if you lose five games against, say, say we lose five games against the Masters lose five games against Toronto, mm-hmm. you know, that's, that's just bad. That sets you up for a bad season, a bad placement, you know, and I don't think it keeps it even killed either. I'm not saying that they need to be playing out West all the time. Right. But I mean, the, the monsters don't even see all the teams in the East. Right. So it, it's, I don't know. I'm not a fan of it. I'm not a fan (laughs) of the, of the decision partially because it's just San Antonio. They were really growing the game and those teams in the South are really good at growing the game. Mm -hmm. They're just, really good in the AHL. <laughs> They're really good at trying to get people involved in, you know, Arizona's great. The Coyotes from an NHL standpoint are really great at growing the game as well. So it's that Southwest just, yeah, they're, they're great at it. San Antonio had been there for like almost two decades, right? Like 18, 19 years. Yeah. Like that's crazy. That's, I mean, that's really cool, you know, and just kind of get ripped up like that. Like that's, that's a bummer. Yeah, especially for those fans who, you know, they shared it with the uh, the Spurs. Mm-hmm. They played in the yep. same arena. And so they kind of did what the Cavs and the Monsters had was they shared fans. Fans that weren't typically fans of basketball became fans of basketball. And fans that weren't typically into hockey became into hockey. And so they grew both sports mm-hmm. <laughs> together. <laughs> and so it's it's a shame to see a thriving thing just perish, not because of money, not because of fans, but because a team just wants their farm team closer. Right. Well, Elaine, I think you had one more AHL bit to talk about, and that was Toronto. They did have a game canceled in January against Texas, right? Is this Yes. But there's more. So now, um, before it was going to be a forfeit, mm-hmm. and earlier this week... They said that they will reschedule the game sometime. They haven't announced when or where. And I mean, I'm, I mean, like, I'm okay with that because, you know, (laughs) the reason why they had to forfeit was someone having a grand mal seizure Mm -hmm. and, Mm -hmm. you know, that's no one's fault. Right. That, that is life and it happens. And, you know, the Marley should not have really lost two points because of it. Sure. But when you look at it from a standing standpoint, them replaying the game now, it just makes um, the race for the playoffs that much more important in the North. Because before, for the Monsters and even Laval, it was kind of like, okay, those two points, 
you know, right now there's six points for the Monsters getting into the playoffs, which is where Toronto's sitting. Mm-hmm. But they, Toronto has only played 51 games, and pretty much everyone else has played 53 and 52. So I, it seems like it's going to come down to that game. Oh, on yeah. What hap- yeah, what happens with the playoff race. And so from a playoff standpoint, that's really tough pill to swallow, especially for a team, especially for the teams that are behind them who are struggling to get wins. But at the same time, I, I commend the, the board of governors of the AHL for making that decision. Cause mm-hmm. I, from my understanding, I don't think either team brought it up to them to replay it. Like I, I think the board of governors made this decision as like a, their own decision. Gotcha. So yeah, for sure. I'm, and I, I feel like that, I mean, like, that's good. I mean, you, you're recognizing that, you know, this is a very unfortunate circumstance and people shouldn't be punished for it. Because, I mean, think about it too. Like, if Texas, you know, gets these two points and Texas squeaks in with two points, how many people are going to... Right. No one's going to be happy. <laughs> <laughs> right. You know, um, but I, I feel like that's an interesting thing to see from a league uh, in a good way, in mm-hmm. a good way. So that's why I wanted to talk about it, because I feel like we hear all these bad things about the NHL and how they do, you know, player safety and all that. And I, you know, the AHL, they do good work. They they really do. <laughs> Is Davison doing well now? I haven't heard anything. Um, so I'm I'm guessing like no news is good news. Although, well, I saw he was out of the hospital, but yeah, I didn't know about anything else. Yeah, it's not something that people are really talking about, and I'm I don't really want to be like, hey, yeah. mm-hmm. <laughs> you know. So I mean, as far as I know, it. I mean, he's gonna be okay. I mean, it's a grand mal seizure. Like, yeah. I don't even know if he's had if he's had those before or or not. But those those are scary. I can't even imagine what the players were going through when they saw that happen. Yeah, no kidding. Wow. Well, that'll be definitely a situation to keep our eye on. All right. Well, I think we have some time for some quick final thoughts. I'll, I'll go first. Uh, stadium series, not a great look. Not a great <laughs> job organizing it. Not a great job putting it on. Uh, if you've seen any coverage of the game, you saw the lines to get in, the lines once you got in, people not being able to get in until the second period. It was an exercise and incompetence is, is what it looked like. And I feel very bad for people who plan trips around this and spend a ton of money to go to this. And all I'm saying is that there is a stadium that I know of that hosts <laughs> like 100,000 people like seven times a year, eight times a year. And they seem to do okay at it. And I think they're pretty practiced at it. So I don't know, just kind of talking off the dome, just spitballing. That's my <laughs> final thought. <laughs> um, I will say too, just to kind of, piggyback off that for a second i also thought it was dumb for the outdoor game this past saturday saturday night to be up against the nba all-star game it's like you have every other weekend what are you doing also real quick i just want to say that the houston astros are a disgrace (laughs) to baseball and sports (laughs) and I, i say this though as a person that really liked watching the astros the last couple of years i liked what they were doing as far as what we thought was you know on the right side of the baseball more in the moral aspect I went to a game in Houston last year. It was awesome. But, you know, just in general, from a sports standpoint, a competing standpoint, it's just a disgrace. And it's one thing to get caught. It's another to be 
for this team to be as arrogant as they've been to the media and trying to defend their actions and not showing any remorse or anything whatsoever. So that's my two cents. Yeah, um, yeah I think the NHL is really bad at scheduling <laughs> things <laughs> up against yeah. other. And it just also, I think it's twofold too. There, I liked when the Winter Classic was it for the outdoor mm-hmm. game. Agreed. Like, yeah. I wish it was just one game. I wish it was the one thing because I don't feel like they're as special anymore. I don't feel like they're yeah. and part of that might be because you see the same teams and then you're like, when are the jackets going to play someone? Mm-hmm. When are the jackets going? No. Okay, <laughs> cool. Uh, right. Um, but it, and to me now, it doesn't even matter because they'll have the jackets play a game at the shoe against like the Red Wings and it'll be the night of like some crazy event. Like it'll be like on the night of the Oscars, (laughs) 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 you know? And I know they want to be the league that people watch instead of the other ones, but uh, that's just not always the case, especially when it's a special event. You know, if Mm -hmm. if it's an all-star game, they're not going to watch an outdoor game when they can watch three other outdoor games later. Yeah. So those are my final thoughts. <laughs> I love them. I love how <laughs> angry they were. <laughs> All <of> them. <laughs> That's Absolutely. what we do, anger. Yeah, that is what we do. <laughs> that is what we do. Well, that will do it for us. Our theme music is Green Eyes by Angela Purley and the Howlin' Moons. Angela is currently on tour. You can find out more about her and her music, including her newest album, 430, at com. Rate us, leave us a review on iTunes, and as always, we welcome your comments and questions. You can tweet at us, at cbjcannon, and comment on jacketscannon.com. From all of us at the Canon, thank you for listening, and we will see you next week.